Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Precept Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of 2 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here again, Unlocking the Truth podcast. This is a ministry of Precept Ministries. So thankful you are joining us. Episode 6 this week of 2 Thessalonians. We're coming to the end of the book. Hope that uh, you have been blessed by the study of this letter, just a really challenging letter, encouraging letter at the same time. But again, I cannot say enough, this church is one that uh, we would want to look at and follow very closely because they are a wonderful example. Just before we get started in the podcast this week, just a couple of reminders. We are, uh, as a ministry, coming to the end of the year, closer and closer to the end of 2020. How exciting is that? Anybody else ready to turn the calendar to 2021? This has been a very interesting year, a year where we have uh, completely and um, unequivocally relied on God to provide for this ministry. This has been a year like I have never seen. Obviously, many of us, unless we're over 100 years old, can't remember the last big pandemic that shut the whole world down. But here we are again heading into this final year and just want to encourage you that if you have been challenged through uh, the podcast and through your study of God's word in this way, if if there has been an impact made on your life, uh, I would just encourage you to invest in Precept Ministries. You can do that by going online and clicking the Give Today button to uh, help us um, and partner with us as we raise up more leaders uh, to lead Bible studies across Canada. I thought I'd give you quickly a couple of uh, really target goals we're hitting for 2021 and where you can invest in the ministry. So first and foremost, our goal for 2021 is we want to raise up 250 new leaders to go out and lead brand new Bible studies in Canada. Well, you might be thinking that's not a lot, but it is. 250 new classes throughout Canada would be a phenomenal uh, opportunity for more and more people to get in, in God's Word. We're, and we're praying that each of those 250 leaders would be in a class with at least 10 people. So now begin to look at the impact. We're also praying and we're seeking of how we can uh, work with and engage in another 800 leaders. Uh, over the last number of years, we've trained almost 6,000 leaders in our workshop training. And so some of these leaders are not currently involved in leading Bible studies for various reasons. And so 
we want to see how the Lord will use precept and its training uh, that we are offering to leaders to uh, re-engage another 800 leaders. Now, if you put the two together, we're looking at over a thousand new classes in 2021. So uh, pray with us in that way that we'll see over a thousand new classes. Uh, if they all have 10 people in them, uh, you can start working, working out the math. But we'll, it would be just a wonderful blessing to see this many people in Canada. And you can invest in that by by uh, giving uh, financially to the ministry. We offer all of our leader training, our precept upon precept leader training, at no charge to those who want to take it. We want to invest in those leaders. And so those gifts that you send into the ministry go directly to um, sponsoring, basically, a leader. So uh, find out more. Uh, look for our year-end newsletter that uh, should be hitting mailboxes very soon and uh, in your inbox and your physical mailbox because you need to see the great stories of what God has done in the midst of this pandemic through Precept in 2021. I also want to encourage you to keep an eye on the new training workshops that we have coming up uh, all through the new year. Uh, just be encouraged to, to take the skills that we're using through this podcast and use them for yourself and learn how to study the scriptures. Join us in an online class as well. Those things are great. Finally, uh, if you haven't done it already, go to uh, the App Store, an Apple App Store or the Google App Store, and download the podcast app or the Precept Canada app, and you can get this podcast right on your phone. Amazing. So you can uh, find out about classes. You can purchase any books and find out all kinds of great information and testimonies right from that app. So don't wait. Go download it. We'd love to have you participate in it. All right, let me pray, and then we are going to dig in to this final section, 2 Thessalonians. Father, we do pray that as we, uh, we ask that you go before us as we look at, really, Lord, a, a difficult subject, a, a challenging subject from the point of view of application. Father, we, we may walk through these passages today and really know these are the things that we should be doing as Christians, but uh, it's easier said than actually done, Lord. So, Father, uh, help us be people of courage, be great uh, leaders and uh, people of the faith who set examples, especially when it comes to those around us that are unruly. Father, help us to understand the enemy and how the enemy works and the purpose of the enemy. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, as we go through this today, uh, you'd guide us and direct us, that your spirit would speak to us and that we would apply. Uh, most importantly, Lord, that your spirit would just uh, knock on our hearts, cause us to apply the truth that we're learning. Help us to be exemplary followers of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said in my prayer, uh, oh my goodness, we are into this final section. But oh my goodness, this is a tough, tough section of scriptures. Not for understanding. I mean, it's pretty simple to understand. Uh, very difficult to apply. And so as we work through this, I'll probably... Uh, take an opportunity at some point and share with you how over my pastoral career we have 
I've done this. I've had to walk through this uh, situation with individuals in the church, and it is not easy. It's painful. But I also want to share with you what happens when you don't deal with unruly people. So uh, we're going to walk through, hopefully, the Lord's wisdom and experiences of what I faced as well as what Paul is telling us in the scriptures uh, will give us a better understanding of how we can we can take this on as believers. This is so vital for where we are in the world today. So uh, let's start with just giving you the overall um, arching themes of each of the chapters. Because we're coming to an end, uh, it's been six episodes, and we've been releasing these bi-weekly. So uh, we're looking at almost three months since we started the very beginning of the this podcast. Chapter one primarily deals with the very fact that uh, this church is going through suffering and persecution, that they are facing an amount, immense amount of pressure from the outside, unbelievers, people who are persecuting them for their faith. They're also, Paul is boasting and bragging about them for the very fact that their faith is growing and their love towards one another is growing. These are all good things. This is this is back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ in verse 10 of chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians, is this church is focused on Jesus and looking for uh, the rescue from the wrath. We also know that they are pushing forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are examples of wherever they go. The reality is we've talked about this is as you push the gospel forward, if you are, you know, intentional about ensuring that you follow the mission of populate heaven and plunder hell, you are going to face persecution. We've talked about the very fact that the gospel is an offensive message. It is really separating those who are seeking after self and asking them to leave all of that at the foot of the cross and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and begin to follow his will instead of their own personal will. It's offensive. The world just teaches us uh, pursue self-interest. And so when we bring that and we say that the result of you not coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is eternal fire, that there is death and destruction, there is judgment for you. You see, that's why it becomes offensive, because in this day and age, we are teaching, not, not precept, people are teaching that God is just a God of love. There's, there's people on TV, there's televangelists that will not talk about the judgment. They'll only talk about the love of Jesus Christ, and that you can just bask in that and and be be who you are and be what you want to be and and still be a believer in Jesus, which is actual uh, counter to what the Word of God says. You can't be after yourself and follow after Jesus. You can't serve two masters. All right, so now what we've got here, that's chapter one. Chapter two is really the subject of the day of the Lord. That is looking at the signs of the coming of the Lord. What what the beautiful part of chapter two was, was that this church already knew it. They just needed a reset. They needed a reminder uh, in the midst of suffering and persecution that they already know about the day of the Lord. They haven't missed the rapture or the coming and the gathering. 
So they need to persevere and they need to press on knowing that uh, Jesus Christ is going to return and their purpose is populate heaven, plunder hell, and be considered worthy by their walk for the calling that will come and that they're ready for when Jesus Christ returns. Chapter 3 focuses on really two main subjects. All right, so first, uh, it's the main overall is going to be about work. It's going to be focusing focusing on these idle, busy bodies that are going about uh, their life. But there's also a part of this that helps us to understand about the enemy. So we're going to look at uh, how to deal with an unruly brother uh, within the church. This is this is the uh, application part that's going to be very hard. So let's uh, begin, and I want to start with. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, and we'll we'll go right from the beginning to keep us in context. But last episode, we really looked at the first five verses. We we looked at the prayer, and then uh, we're going to pick up the command. But context is key. Context is king. So let's stay in the setting of uh, the first five verses as well. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from the perverse and evil men, uh, Not for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we will command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. The first thing we want to look at is this whole idea is how God will strengthen us and God will protect us from the evil one. One of the most important things we can do as a Christian is really understand how this evil one works. How, who this evil one is and how he works. When we begin to recognize how this individual works in our lives, we can be then begin to stand firm, hold fast, and be able to uh, resist the devil. All right, so I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13 first, because I want you to see that even in this situation, there is a prayer and a request of God. So Matthew 6, uh, 9 to 13. And here's uh, what is said. Okay, so this is coming right to uh, the Lord's Prayer. So verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need to ask before him. So last episode, we walked through the Lord's Prayer. So I just want to pick up one verse in the Lord's Prayer and pay close attention to what is being prayed for. All right, so I'm going to go down to verse 13. We know, we know the Lord's Prayer. You can rhyme it off in your head, right? Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Now wait for it. Here it is. But deliver us from evil. So we're seeing that what 
Paul is telling us in First Thess- or Second Thessalonians chapter 3 is that God is faithful. He will strengthen us. He will protect us from the evil one. We see in the example of Jesus' prayer that we are to pray for deliverance from the evil one. John chapter 17, verses 14 to 22. Uh, Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. He prays and he asks that God would protect the disciples and the followers of Jesus after he is no longer on earth. He can't protect them from the evil one anymore so because he's not with them. So he's asking God to protect them from the evil. He tells them that they are to go out into the world. Their purpose hasn't been fulfilled yet. They still need to bring the gospel to all nations. And so they are heading into the war, war zone that is owned by the enemy. And so because the enemy is ruling and the enemy is working, uh, they ask for protection from God. All right, so now let's look at this enemy really quickly. And uh, we're going to go to John chapter 8 and and just pay attention to uh, some of these descriptors of who this enemy is. So John chapter 8, verse 23, the first verse we'll look at, and then we'll walk through verses 40 to 44. Uh, Jesus is saying that to the disciples, you are from below and I am from the above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. This is John chapter 17 will be the same thing. You need to stay here on earth. You are of this world. Now, look who is over this world. Ephesians says that the enemy is the power of the prince of the air. Verses 40 to 44 It says, but as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. Uh, We have one father in God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come forth from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Now, let's look at just a couple of these characteristics. All right, first, uh, we see that he is a murderer from the beginning. He He doesn't stand in truth. There's no truth in him, and he is a liar. And everything he speaks, he lies. Now, when we go back to 2 Thessalonians, we're gonna see in verse two that we will be rescued from the perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. The Lord is faithful. He'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. What we've got here is we've got these evil men, just like we see in John, that are doing the works of their father. The things that they're doing are bringing uh, pleasing you know, eyes and sight to the devil. He, he likes to see unbelievers doing things that he loves. Lie murder, steal, cheat, anything that goes against the word of God. And so 
what happens here is Jesus is saying in this situation in John is these two people in the way they are treating him and not loving him is the fact that they are following after the father. And so this is what's going on. The evil one is at work and he's working through these people in this church. He is using them to persecute Christians. Now let's look at another passage and and uh, if you attended the Hold Fast conference with us, you, you would have seen this uh, happening within uh, the text, all right? So 1 Peter, uh, we want to look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. And uh, let me tell you, that was a phenomenal conference to participate in. And if you haven't had a chance to see it, uh, give us a call at the office and you can uh, probably uh, get a chance to look at the videos uh, that were released. All right, so chapter 5, we uh, see the command from Peter, okay? He says, be sober of spirit, uh, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, seeking someone to devour. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I just kind of love those nature shows. And when I'm watching those nature shows, I'm watching how... Uh, they, this lion is able to sneak up on different animals and be able to pounce on them and then hold them down. All right, so uh, just the other day, I was watching a video of a group of lions that were trying to take down a baby elephant. And the elephants, as they were all together, they were able to kind of combat this these lions. But uh, this one lion actually was able to uh, grab onto another animal. And the way when the lion attacked this animal, it went right for their throat. And they just bit on their throat until they died. And this is like the devil. He's prowling around. He's looking for weak people. And so when he sees weak people who are falling to the temptations of the world, and these are believers, that he will pounce on them, and he will try to take them out. But Peter says in verse 9, Resist him, be firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren around the world. Now, it's very interesting, isn't it, that it seems that what Peter's indicating here. And you can go back and watch the videos uh, from Hold Fast or study First Peter. Uh, after this podcast, we're going to walk into Second Peter. But it seems here that there is some weakness that begins to occur in relation to suffering. And so there, there, our guard is down a little bit when we are suffering. Uh, we see that in Second Thessalonians as well, that the guard is down. They're, they're shaken by the fact that they, they miss the rapture. And, and when our guard is down, then the enemy pounces. And so what Peter's saying is resist him. Well, how do you resist him? You get into the word of God and you know and you understand how this enemy works. You want to know another way to resist him? You need to know your weaknesses you need to know where you're most vulnerable and take those vulnerable areas and try to strengthen them up with the study of God's word. And then stand firm in your faith. Don't be 
shaken or movable. And see, then there's the knowing part, knowing that you're not alone in the suffering, that there are others who are facing suffering for the truth of the gospel all around the world, and that you can stand firm in knowing that when you survive this, when you get through this and you get to the other side, Jesus will consider you worthy of your calling. So uh, this is the enemy, and this is what we are being protected from. Now, this is very important as it moves into this next section. It's to understand how the enemy works. It's to know that the enemy's purpose is trying to take out uh, believers who are not standing firm and strong in their faith. And now what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to drop this bomb on us about people in the church who are weak, people who are living a life that is not worthy of the calling of Jesus. It's people who are really starting to see that the devil is pouncing on them. All right, so now let's look at the text, and we'll, we'll, we'll walk through this. And uh, there's going to be plenty of uh, words to understand in uh, Greek that we'll, we'll look at. Lord willing, I'll pronounce them properly and won't butcher them. All right, so now verse 6 says, Now when we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. So now we've got this command and instruction here. And the instruction is that you keep away from every brother. Uh, we're talking about believers here. This is people who are professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so what we want to do is we want to see what it means to keep away. All right, so keep away is the Greek word uh, stilo, and it means to avoid. All right, so obviously that's not a huge difference in translation from the English. English, we know keep away. Uh, it's to avoid or to abstain from associating with. So keep away from every Christian who leads. All right, so leads is all about the about our conduct, okay? It's uh, peripateo, and so it's our walk. So when you look at this, it's do not associate with anyone who walks, and then the word unruly, all right? So the word unruly is uh, ataktos, and it is basically a military term which is out of order or out of rank. And so if you think about all those uh, military people in the line that they are, it's if they're out of that regular line, all right? It also can mean idleness, slackness, lazy, or they're neglecting their duties, all right? So stay away from anyone who is in their conduct that is not walking in a proper way, all right? So it's in a way that uh, brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And what he gives us is he tells us the standard. And he says that we are to keep away, avoid fellowship or participation with anyone who walks out of order. And what is the order? The order is the tradition what you receive from us. 
Now, if you have been studying through this and you have been going verse by verse with us through your own study and then using this to supplement your uh, study, you will know that this is the second time that tradition has been mentioned in the scriptures, all right, in 2 Thessalonians. It was mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, and so what he was talking about in chapter 2 is verse 15, which was the term of conclusion. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So the command is that you, if this person is outside of the teachings of Jesus Christ, outside of what we would understand today as the word of God, that we are not to associate with them. They are people who are in the church that are not living according to God's word. They're out of rank. They're out of order. All right? So now, Paul is then going to give us an example. And it's important to note that that unruly is, you know, not taking up their duties. They're not doing their part. They're not fully participating. They're, they're lazy and slack and idle, all right? Idle is uh, empty, all right? So now let's look at uh, verse 7. And here's the example, and he sets the standard. And this is not the first time that we've seen this. This was in 1 Thessalonians as well. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner. All right, so uh, let's stop and look at that for a moment and, and understand that they didn't act like the unruly. They acted in a way uh, that brought um, a good example. All right, so now he says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. All right, before we move on, I want to look at verse 8 because it basically what Paul is saying in verse 8 is what we already talked about in 1 Thessalonians. You can go back, listen to those podcasts again, and see that essentially what Paul is saying is he earned his own keep. He worked, he was a tent maker. And he made enough money to be able to provide for himself. He was not relying on anyone else to provide for him. All right, so that's what he's saying. And if you look at the words that comes with this, he didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. He worked for his money. But he also, uh, he did this in labor and hardship. And then the, the phrase, we kept working. This kept working in the Greek this whole phrase is a toil. It's a laborsome work. It's hard, hard work. It's not something that is easily done. So they were toiling and they were working so hard to be able to provide for their own essential needs so that they would not have to rely on anyone else. Well, 1 Corinthians, Paul also addresses this very topic. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 3 to 15. And so I won't read the whole thing, but I want to walk uh, through some of the uh, later parts of this, okay? So what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verses 3 to 15. He says, my defense to those who examine me like this is, do we have a right to eat and drink? Do we have a right to take along a believing wife, even the rest of the apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance of the gospel. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those to proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I've used none of these things, and I'm not writing these things so that it will be done. So in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. You know what Paul's basically saying here? As Paul's walking through these passages, he is saying that because he is a messenger and apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has a right through scripture to receive back from those he ministers to. And so, but he did not choose to exercise that right because he did not want to hinder the gospel. Uh, Think about the world today and how we have organizations and we have people who have abused this uh, whole system. We have people that uh, have asked for the receiving of financial gifts to come into the ministry for the purposes of buying big giant planes so that they don't have to fly on a regular plane around uh, around the world to do their teaching. Uh, we have many people who legitimately do this. Precept Ministries, for example, is an organization that sows the word out to the people. We teach people how to study the word of God. And through that, the gifts and the finances that come back in through the ministry do uh, take care of all of the team members that come and work at Precept. But we do this uh, for the purposes of getting and giving you uh, the scriptures. But we we don't want the gospel to be hindered either. Uh, We want people to be Uh, giving to us, not because they might be paying an individual's uh, salary, but the very fact that their gift is investing back into the world and that more people will come to know Jesus. More people will go and study the word of God. That's how we want to work here at this ministry. Our main focus is not on getting rich as individuals. We don't drive Ferraris. We work tons and tons of hours. We toil and we labor. We labor hard for for the gospel and the word of God to go forward throughout Canada. And 
you know, quite frankly, most of our team is well underpaid in what they should be doing. But the fact of the matter is that we do this not for our own personal gain, but we do this for the glorification of God. We do this to see more people impacted by the word of God throughout Canada because the word of God has impacted our lives. And so what Paul is saying, essentially, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, is that people need to earn their keep. They need to work. They need not rely on those who are just um, doing the work and then they get the handout from them. All right, so what he says here is a couple things in this passage that we want to look at. The first is, he says, for you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. So the first thing we want to look at, this word follow in the Greek uh, is also the understanding of actor, as an actor imitates somebody else. All right, so it's mimo mai, and I'm probably butchering that one pretty good, actually, so uh, we won't try and pronounce it again. That's what I love about Blue Letter Bible and the website. You can go there and you can find the Greek word and you can get that guy to pronounce it properly for you. So what we've got here is that it means to imitate and follow. The other uh, word we want to look at comes in verse 9. He says, not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that we would uh, so that you would follow our example. So the word follow again and model. So what Paul was doing when they modeled, so when they went somewhere, they worked. They toiled and worked, 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 and shared the gospel. They earned their living from their work and not from the gospel, uh, from, the, from the people who were receiving the gospel. So what he did was he said, uh, we modeled this for you so that you would take it on. The idea of model here is the Greek word tupos, which means to uh, mark or make an impression by blowing or stamping the, the object. So what Paul was doing was he was showing the people how they needed to be formed and shaped into the example worthy of being followed, which was work hard. Work hard for what you uh, receive and don't just expect others to work and then you take from them. So he says, follow me in this. And this is not the only time in scripture that he talks about imitating him. Philippians, imitate, as, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there are a number of examples. First uh, Corinthians eleven one talks about how uh, we should imitate um, Paul, uh, who is imitating Jesus. So we've got this idea of follow the example. You saw how we worked hard. You saw how we earned our living. You saw how we made our our money to buy our own bread and our own food. Do the same as we did. Because this is a great and worthy example of the gospel. Idleness is not. And so it goes back to this, don't associate with unruly people. Keep away from them. Now look what he says in verses 10 to 12. For even when we were with you, we used to give this order. If anyone is not willing to eat, then he's not to eat either. Uh, this, is, this is one of the conversations I'm starting to have in our house, uh, my daughter uh, had a job interview at uh, the, the local grocery store. It's time to get a job. 
You know, you want your driver's license? You got to earn that money to pay for the insurance. All right, so it's time to earn your keep. You, you've done a great job around the house, emptying the dishwasher, keeping the place clean. But yet, guess what? University's coming. And if you want to continue on in that way, you've got to earn some finances to be able to pay for those things. The things you want, you got to earn it, right? So uh, here we are. So what he's saying is earn your keep. You want to eat? Get to work. This is the reality. So now such persons we command and exhort, verse 12, uh, in the Lord Jesus to the to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. All right, so I want to look. Uh, I forgot verse 11, so we want to go back to verse 11 because verse 11 is the best. All right, so uh, look, he says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Uh, this is amazing. All right. So in the beginning of this podcast, I talked about the idea of this busybodies, you know, what is it that they're actually doing? You know, as people are, you know, populating heaven and plundering hell and the suffering and the persecution is coming and, you know, the fiery furnace of suffering is turning up. Are these people just around looking busy, you know, so that they're, they don't want to get dig into the the seriousness of you know pushing the gospel forward because they don't like the the persecution that's coming so they're sitting back and they they're just looking busy and that, and that's what what I asked in the beginning but here we have I I think I think that's what it is I think people they they're looking busy but they're not actually accomplishing anything so let's look at this this uh this word okay so first of all let's look at the word work all right so the word work uh is the word um ergozami okay so it is you know to to toil and to labor and to do uh physical things now acting like busybodies is a play on words all right so paul is he's he's genius right here the play on words is the first part of that Greek phrase, acting like busybodies, is perigos. And that perigos is to scurry and fuss or to, to meddle in other people's business. Uh, it literally is um, to just kind of do nothing except focus on what other people are doing. Um, you know anybody like that? Well, I know some people like that, like to meddle in other people's stuff. The second uh, word, part of that is ergozami, which is work. All right, so that is the work. So their work, all right, the busybody, their work is meddling in other people's business. And that is also to understand that it's to bustle about it's to look busy, but not accomplishing anything. It's useless work. Uh, also, one definition was, it's to waste your labor. Um, so, uh, this is a very interesting thing. So, these people, they look like they're, they're busy doing work, but it's nothing that they are actually really accomplishing 
So they're, they're getting involved in other people's stuff. They're, they're meddling, and, and, and this happens. This, we see this happening all the time in our world. Uh, people acting like busybodies. Uh, what are you actually accomplishing? I remember in, uh, in university, I was working in a, uh, grocery, in a grocery store warehouse, we used to pick all the groceries and build up big skids and park them in trucks, and then the trucks would ship these groceries all over, all over uh, Ontario. And there was one guy who would drive this forklift around, and we would see him, and he'd always have an empty wooden skid on the back of his uh, forklift. And we would say to him, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing all day? And he says, well... As long as I have the skid on this machine and I'm driving up and down the aisles, the bosses are going to think I'm working. They're going to be thinking that I'm, I'm taking care of all these things. And what he would do is he'd just go around from person to person and he would just be chatting with them and distracting them from the work that they were to accomplish. The other thing that he did was in the summertime, we used to have this big freezer where it was minus 30 degrees all the time and the, the warehouse would be up in the 90 degree area and what he'd do is he'd he'd get a winter coat on and he'd go spend hours in that freezer so he wouldn't have to work in the the uh, 90 degree heat of the warehouse you he that's a busybody that's a perfect example of wasting one's labor you're there to accomplish a work you're given a task to do and you're not doing it but look what he says in the next verse which I've read once already but it's good to go back verse 12 now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ, work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. So back to this definition of work again, toil and labor in a quiet fashion. So in a quiet fashion is the Greek word hushia, and it means to do in stillness. It means to work in a way in which you are calm and content, and you are focused on your own work. You're focused on working to provide for yourself. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 9 to 12, is another example of what we're talking about when it comes to work. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write for, to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all brethren who are in Macedonia. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Work with your own hands, just as we commanded you. Here's a reason why you want to do this. Lead work in a quiet fashion. Do the work yourself. Provide for yourself. So that, term of conclusion so that you will behave and you'll behave properly towards outsiders and not be any in any need. So I want to give you four reasons in which we work. The first is that we work to be an example to those who are not believers, that we do well in what we do so that those outsiders may see a good example and may see Jesus Christ. All right, the second reason is that we are to be uh, meeting our own needs. So the, that we would not be dependent on anyone 
else. So we work hard, we toil, we labor, so we're not dependent on anyone else. And that is, again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses uh, 3 to 5, and then verse 8 also give us two reasons in which we work. So four reasons altogether. One, so we'll walk properly and be an example to meet our own needs. 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verses 3 to 5. Uh, these, this is instructions for overseers and elders. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceful, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And so the first thing that they are to do is they are to take care of their own household. This is one of the reasons we work. It's to provide for your own family. So in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let's look at it here, and we'll see from verses 3 to 5 and verse 8 the other two reasons for why we are to work. First, we're to honor widows who are widows indeed. But if anyone has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Uh, we are to take care of our family, our, the widows, mothers, and grandchildren, and to provide in that way. And I have to tell you, throughout this summer, uh, my wife Jessica and I, we, we live this out. And I don't say this to brag to you, but I'm telling you, something clicked in in, in my uh, paternal, you know, my in, internal, and it was like, my mom is all by herself. My dad is in the hospital on life support. He was on life support for five months, and so, or five weeks, sorry, but he was in the hospital for five, almost six months. And in that time, my mom was at home, and we were making sure that we were dropping off meals and, and taking care of them and uh, making sure that my mom had everything that she needed, taking her up to the hospital. And we stepped up to be able to provide in that way. One, because we wanted to relieve the stress and the worry because there's a lot going on when your husband goes in for heart surgery and has major complications and this just becomes to consume your life. So we wanted to make sure that my mom was well provided for. Uh, we continue to do that as my dad continues to recover at home, is provide in ways that we can. We'll run out and buy clothes and do all this stuff. I mean, my dad lost so much weight in the hospital, he basically had to buy an entire new wardrobe. So we want to be able to provide. We work to provide for our, um, our parents and our grandparents and widows to take care of those who are, are vulnerable. Uh, verse 8 tells us, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, we work and we toil to take care of our children and our family and the people that are in our immediate household so that they're not reliant on outside people to do the work for them. So this is why you work. You work to be an example towards the outsiders. You work to meet your needs. 
you work to meet the needs of those who are in are vulnerable and to provide for your own family. So this is what he's saying is you need to work and you need to do it in a quiet fashion. There's enough for you to worry about just in those four things that you shouldn't be worrying about what other people are doing. So don't be meddling in other people's business, but just focus on your own. Now, here's where we're going to come to the most important part. This is the painful part. Are you ready? Let's walk together through the final verses of this um, passage. So verse 14. Uh, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Uh, Do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. All right, let's look at this first. Um, This verse 14 is a command, all right? This is not just a... um, suggestion that we are to take on, but does not obey uh, means does not listen, does not participate, does not hearken to, or pay attention, and then finally, does not submit. So anyone who does not submit to um, the instructions that were given, which is to work in a quiet fashion, to Uh, keep away from the unruly. It is all of these people, if they do not do this and they continue to lead an undisciplined life, we are to not associate with that person. You see, this this is the hard part now. Now, what does it mean to not associate? This is the debate that comes, right? This is what everybody really wants to know. And it's like, well, to what level should I not participate in relationship with them? Can I not just hang out with them outside of the church? Can I, what if they're my running buddy? What if they're like my best friend, but they continue to lead an unruly life? And I, and I need to be able to uh, use my life as an example to, to make an impact on them. How can I not associate with them anymore? Right? So these are all the, the kind of thoughts that go through our head. But if I don't associate with them, then who's going to show them the gospel and who's, who, who's going to help correct them? Well, the first and foremost part of this, and we will come to some application is if they don't obey, that means that the teaching has been before them. They've heard the teaching. They know what the teaching says, but they're not going to listen and submit to it. They're going to choose to continue to live that unruly, undisciplined life. We're not to associate, which means in the Greek, it w- it's to mix together or fellowship with. Whew. Now that... That is um, pretty clear. Uh, don't hang out with them. And, and why? Well, I wanted to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a great example of what's happening uh, when we allow the unruly to uh, continue to intermingle in fellowship within the church. 
uh, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1. It's actually reported that there is immorality among you. And immorality as such kind does not exist even among some uh, of the among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. Uh, you need to study First Corinthians to see how bad this sin is. This is so unheard of sexual sin that even Gentiles would not participate in this action. Um, it's bad. All right, this this sin that's going on, this unruly, undisciplined life of a person in the church is so bad that a Gentile, a non-believer, wouldn't even participate in this sin. And it's in the church. All right, so what he says is, listen to what he describes as the church. What's going on with the church? You, church, have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that one of you had done this deed would have been removed from your midst. Oh, man, this just breaks my heart. This, this makes me think back to my pastoral days, and I'll, I'll share that with you in a minute. Oh, look, they become arrogant. They're, they're, they're not dealing with the sin in the church. They know it's there. They're not addressing it. You've not mourned. You're not, they're not even sad or grieving over the sin. Imagine to see the guy every Sunday, Saturday, whatever, and you look at him and you know the sin that he's committing. He's bringing, he's got his, you know, relative that he's married on his arm. He knows what's going on in the sexual immorality within the church and they're arrogant to it. They're not mourning it. They're not dealing with it. And Paul calls him out. For I, on my part, though I'm absent in body, hey, I'm not at your church. I'm not there. But I'm present in spirit. I've already judged this man. And he was committed, uh, that he has committed this as though I were present. I've judged this man. I know it's sin. I know what he's doing wrong. I'm not there. I know all about it, and I've judged him for it. I've called out that sin. Uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you assembled and I with you in spirit, with power and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've decided to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. First Thess- Second Thessalonians. Uh, verse 14, if they don't obey or hearken the instruction to this letter, take special note. Special note is to mark them or tag them or um, be very aware of them. Mark those people because they are not going to submit and they're in the church. Do not associate with them. Don't fellowship with them. Don't partake in relationship with them. Here's why. Your boasting is not good, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of bread? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ our Passover, also been sacrificed, therefore let us celebrate the feast not 
with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but unleavened bread of sincerity. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean with immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you, don't associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person, a covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even eat with such one. For what I have to do with judging outsiders, do you not know that those uh, judge those who are within the church? But those who are outsiders, God judges. Remove them, uh, these wicked men. All right, so uh, very interesting, isn't it, what we're, we're learning here? Don't associate with the immoral who are in the church. We are to judge those people. We are to look at them and recognize that they're not in order, that they're unruly. But not just that they're unruly, because there are people within the church that don't know sin, that it is sin. There's, there's people, for example, if you had an opportunity to watch the 50th anniversary of Precept Celebration, you would have seen a couple that started coming to a, a precept Bible study, and they had no idea that the Bible was clear on the fact that you shouldn't live together before you're married. And so a couple uh, precept leaders were walking them through the scriptures to help them understand that cohabitating together before marriage is not biblical. And what this couple did was they corrected themselves. They corrected the sin that they were undergoing, and they began. To, they they got separate separate apartments, and they continued to to um, date and and be engaged. But then, when they got married, they moved in together. That is a prime example of people who don't recognize what sin is sin when they don't know the scriptures, and then we can correct them and rebuke them and bring them along. Just like the word of God says, all scripture is inspired by God, and this is what it's for, to rebuke, rebuke, reprove. So we've seen correctedness of sin through that. But these people here, they do not want to submit to the word of God. They know the truth. The truth is brought before them, and they don't want to submit to it. Mark those people in the church. Here's why. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Bad company corrupts good morals. The reality is, and this is the hard part for us all to understand, sanctification is a very hard process. Removing things from our lives is very difficult. Some of these sins that sit within our lives, we, we don't let them own us anymore because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But some of these sins are really hard to give up. And because they're really hard to give up, when we start getting with bad company, it's easier to go backwards than it is to go forwards. It's easier to fall back into the trap of the life that we lead than it is to move forward. I have seen this in places and churches so many times. One person is upset and one person is unruly and they can take down a number of people to their level to which you now had one complainer and you now have multiple complainers. 
We have people that will complain about something and they will do everything they can to get as many people with them as possible and take them backwards. It's way easier to move backwards than it is to move forwards. I uh, want to give you an example of this from my, my own experiences in church. All right, so let me bring back to the verses and, and let's get to the basis of all this because there's a purpose in this. Both Corinthians and Thessalonians tells us that the do not associate with them to deliver them over the, to Satan, as Corinthians said, is the purpose is that they will be brought to shame and brought to salvation. True salvation. When, when we fellowship with them and when we include them in the, in the life of believers and we don't address the sin and we don't call it out and we don't deal with it properly, how are they to know that there's any difference when we condone that sin, when we don't call it out? They begin to think it's a part of their life or a life of the church or they take the church down. So a number of years ago, while I was still working at Precept, and this is probably 2000, 2006, 2007, uh, I had been in a church as a youth pastor. I was invited back to this church uh, to participate in their anniversary service. Uh, I got to read some scripture, you know. I will always go back to that church and I look at the wall, and I'm the only guy that doesn't have a picture on the wall with all the, with all the other pastors, but I digress. So I uh, went back to um, read the scriptures, and at the end of the anniversary service, the pastor resigned. And I thought it was very interesting the pastor resigned in that situation uh, on an anniversary Sunday of all Sundays. But what happened was um, the church asked if I could preach the following week. And so I went into the church, and I preached the following week. And then they said, you know, we don't have anybody lined up for the next week. So I went and preached again. And ended up preaching four weeks in a row. And after four weeks, they started to hear some things in the scriptures that they hadn't heard before. And they were starting to see some, uh, some things happening. There wasn't many people in the church. A lot of people in the church had left. And so they said, hey, if you're not really working uh, too much, why don't you... Uh, come and serve as our interim pastor. And my first thought was, well, you know what? I'm really not working too much right now. And uh, I'm in this interview process with Precept Ministries. Yes, I will come and interim, but I will only do one day a week in the office and I'll do Sundays. And so a very part-time because the church had lost so many people that they didn't have money to be able to pay uh, their people. So I went and did it on a very part-time basis, and I went to the first deacons meeting, and I had no idea what I was about to encounter. I sat in the deacons meeting, and there was four people in the deacons meeting because uh, a number of people had resigned. And I asked, why is there this mass exodus from this church? I had served in this church a number of years earlier from 1998 to about 2003 and was gone for four years. And when I was there as the youth pastor, we had a vibrant youth ministry and uh, a vibrant high school ministry and the church pews were full. But why have we gone from about 400 people to 40? What has happened? 
And before I knew it, the deacons started to unload enormous amounts of sexual sin in the church that had gone unaddressed. That there were people in the church that knew this sexual sin was going on. They had hired a youth, a teenager, who was their um, janitor, and they were paying him. But on youth nights, after youth was over, he would go back into the church with his church key and turn the alarm off, and he would have sex parties with other teenagers in the youth room. And people knew this was going on, and they were not addressing that. They were not taking care of that. And the very fact that that was still going on when I came as the interim and these deacons knew that it was going on and did not know how to address it because the previous leader did not want to have any conflict. He didn't like conflict. So he wasn't going to call out the sin. So I sat there with this group of people, uh, one in absolute tears, mourning over what was happening in the church. And I want to tell you one thing. What we did in that situation was I asked all the deacons except for one to resign. I asked everyone to resign. The only one who stayed was the one who was mourning over the sin. And then we allowed these deacons to to spend some time in the word of God outside of that. But you see what was going on was this teenager and these people were still in the church. They were still participating in the church. And so we went with them and we tried, according to Matthew 18, we walked through the principles of how to deal with discipline in the church. And the, the people would not submit. They would not hearken or listen to the word of God and would not repent. And because they would not repent, we asked them to no longer participate in the ministry of the church. And then what we did as a church was we lifted those people up in prayer that God would completely rock their world, that the Spirit would convict them of their sin, that someone would hear the truth of the gospel in, or speak the truth of the gospel so that they would hear it and they would fall to their knees and recognize that this sin is not permitted in the church. And that they needed Jesus or they were going to face a wrath. Well, unfortunately, through all of that, I'll tell you two things. And then I'm going to pray. The first is this. That one, that family left the church. When the sin left the church, the spirit began to work in a way that I have never, ever seen before. I started doing a Bible study called Rising to the Call of Leadership from the Pulpit each and every Sunday. It's one of our 40-minute Bible studies. I wanted people to know what it looks like to be a real leader, one who calls out sin, one who, who leads with courage, and one who is unafraid of uh, the enemy. We did that for six weeks in a row. We started Bible studies during the week. Teach me to study the Bible in 28 days. Teach me to pray in 28 days. We walked through Kings and Chronicles, and we looked at how leaders led nations, both good and bad, and what what was the benefit of the good leaders. We looked at people like Josiah, who at eight years old began to seek the Lord. At 16, he began to purge the land, and he completely uh, transformed um, Jerusalem and Judea 
for the kingdom of God. We, we looked at all this and we began to seek God and, and be in the word on a regular basis. And by the time my 18 months of internship had ended at that church, our new deacons were setting up pews or chairs after the pews all the way into the fellowship room because there was not enough room for the people to sit in the church. We removed the Sid and God flourished in the church. Some of the persecution they were facing was because they were unable to deal with the sin. People leaving that church were leaving because that church was not dealing with sin. Uh, This teenager has yet to come to repentance. Uh, I'm removed from that now for 12 years. Continue to pray that he would come to repentance. But it's on the Lord's, in the Lord's hands for him to do that. I'm free and clear because we presented the gospel. We tried to make clear to him what needed to be done, but he refused. So we decided not to associate with him anymore. Uh, Bad company corrupts good morals. That church went on to flourish for a number of years, which is great. It's phenomenal. It's the first Thessalonians church. This is what Paul's calling us to do. He's calling us to not associate with those who are unruly and won't listen to the truth of God's word. And that's what we need to look at in our lives. I'm not saying that we need to be people that go around, especially if you're in a church, and this came up in our discussion, if you're in a church and you got 500 people, you're not supposed to, I don't think you're supposed to go around hunting down sinners and judging them. But when you see someone living a life that's unruly and undisciplined, that you take the principles of Matthew 18 and begin to walk through what it means to deal with sin properly. And if they won't deal with that properly, don't associate with them. I've just tried to do this in the, na- in the last year. And, and when people don't want to walk through the principles of Matthew chapter 18 with you, then you just leave it to the Lord to take care of. We want to be able to, to walk in a way worthy of the gospel where we're pursuing the mission of populate heaven and plunder hell. This is our focus. We want to work in a quiet fashion. We don't want to get involved in every other person's business, and we want to focus on the reasons why we work, but we also want to push the gospel forward. This church is a phenomenal example of this. This is hard to understand and even harder to apply. How can we leave somebody? How can we leave a relationship with somebody when it's toxic and the person's unruly and they're not following biblical principles. Well, see, it becomes much easier when we fully understand it's not my responsibility to bring them to salvation. I can only share the truth of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power is in the work of the cross. It's the spirit who's at work. We're just the vessels who bring the message. I cannot think more of Revelation when it says, to him who has an ear, let him hear. This is the same for these people. 
If they choose to be closed off to the truth, don't associate with them. They're going to take you down. They're going to take you backwards. We need to keep pushing forward to be considered worthy of our calling and be complete in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for the time we've had to walk through 2 Thessalonians. Lord, I pray that even the truths that we've seen today from your scripture, we would apply. Lord, knowing that we do have people in our life that uh, are leading undisciplined lives and, and they're proclaiming to be believers. Father, that we would walk through Matthew 18, that we would show them sin, that we would have witnesses that would go with us that have also seen this sin. And Father, I pray that it would be like this couple uh, in Texas or in California who really understood God's word and in the teachings and corrected themselves. But Father, for those who do not listen, those who do not want to take heed and take the warning, which which is to admonish. They don't want to listen to that warning, Father, that we wouldn't be distracted by it. That we would just not associate with those people because bad company corrupts good morals. Father, it's easier to go backwards than it is forwards. But help us to keep pushing forward because we know that when we move forward, it's that coming and gathering. It's that timeline that we've drawn out. We fully understand that we must move forward to be worthy of the kingdom of God. Help us to do that in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.